Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. All right, welcome back to episode 94 of the Built on Purpose podcast, brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose-aligned and performance-proven leaders. Speaking of, today, I will be hosting Sherry Reyes, who is the visionary entrepreneur dedicated to revolutionizing mental health in the workplace. She is the co-founder and CEO of Infia, a mental health company dedicated to integrating psychedelic-assisted therapy in the workplace. Through Anthea, she's pioneering the incorporation of ketamine therapies as an employee health benefit, aiming to enhance mental health and tackle the stigma around psychedelic therapies. Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to just jump right in because I think this topic uh, I just shared prior to kind of starting recording, I have uh, some personal experience with ketamine therapy, and it was a very positive experience, so I'll just share that right out of the gate. But I'm going to ask a lot of questions, uh, as I'm sure the audience will have, around this. So let's just jump right in. You're on the forefront of integrating psychedelic-assisted therapies into the workplace. What inspired you to pursue this mission, and what have been some of the biggest challenges for you? Yeah, so what inspired me to pursue this mission was really I saw firsthand in my, let's call it previous life or previous career, uh, the effects of poverty on community. I spent 10 years working on poverty reduction. I consulted to the UN and the World Bank. I helped design programs that were implemented in 37 different countries. Um, I spent those 10 years like in the field, um, so working um, directly in community. And really saw that you can't address poverty without addressing mental health. And so from that, I started, you know, looking for solutions. Like, how do we address mental health? Because I was out there in countries like Afghanistan and Yemen and South Africa and Nigeria trying to solve this problem of poverty. And I saw that most of the things that we have developed to address mental health aren't actually working well. And you may have experiences firsthand. I'm sure a lot of the listeners to this podcast have felt it. But even what we're using in developed countries to address mental health, antidepressants and talk therapy doesn't work well or effectively for most people. It works really well for some, but unfortunately not for most. And so I then stumbled upon what was happening in the psychedelic space. And by that, I mean, I started looking at clinical studies that were showing you know, 65 to 85% remission rates, meaning people that do psychedelic assisted therapy no longer qualify for PTSD or depression at one year follow up. And I was looking at these studies and I was like, Oh my God, why are not, why are more people not using this? Why aren't more people not talking about this? And so it's probably a much longer story, but that realization led me to then be inspired to give more people access to psychedelic assisted therapy and to other innovative mental health treatments and that ultimately led to the creation of Enthia. Awesome. And we are I'm get so excited to dig into that. So tell me you you talked about serving the community. And I think one thing I don't want to skip over just so people have the foundation of talk about your early like intro to serving the community. Because I don't I think most people are like that that sounds amazing. 
So I know you and I had a prior conversation, but I think it's important, you know, to give a little background and context of like how you got to being in this service mindset to begin with. Yeah, I think being in the service mindset for me started very early in childhood. You know, if we're talking about like built on purpose, perhaps my purpose um, was predetermined or, or determined at an early age. Um, my parents belong to a religious community that puts a lot of emphasis on service. It was a word that was taught to me, probably one of my first words when I was a toddler. And they uh, wanted me to start volunteering even as a toddler. So this was something that was, I guess, really much instilled into me in childhood. One of my early childhood experiences was around doing a lemonade stand for the summer and then uh, working really hard to make as much money as possible because my parents are also immigrants and put a lot of emphasis on making money, um, but then donating that money to charity. And then later on in my teenage years, I, I decided, and hopefully my parents don't listen to this podcast, but decided to lie to them and sleep on the streets uh, of Toronto. Uh, where I'm from and try to understand what it meant to be homeless. And from that experience, talking to a lot of homeless people and actually like being out there and sleeping on the streets for a few nights, I then gained this insight of, wow, we, we marginalize and have all this stigma around homeless people when they're really struggling with their own mental health and, and we're not doing them right. We're not as a system, we're not helping them. So those were the early beginnings of like service, I think for me. Um, things that weaved into the quilts of my, of my service. And then I then went into a career, as I mentioned, working for the UN and the World Bank, where I really wanted to make a lot of sacrifices, not have the privilege of or luxury of work, working and living in developed countries, but actually being in the field, on the ground, and living in community with others to really try to understand like what is causing poverty and how do we fix it. Gosh, this is amazing. Sherry, thank you for, uh, you know, for spending the time in the community. I mean, think about this. Most people aren't even willing to leave their homes anymore to work. And so you were willing to, you know, go into, you know, poverty struck areas in other countries and even in your own area. So, I mean, it's just amazing. That's such a, uh, such a critical point here. Um, cause I think it gives you so much credibility. There's a lot of people that will talk about stuff like this. And then I start asking, like, how do you know? And they don't really know. They just, you know, kind of, they never experienced it. Um, so tell me, again, I uh, I have some experience, which we will get into here and there, but I want this more about the listener and them really learning about, uh, you know, the effectiveness of psychedelic therapies, things like that. But how do you respond to skeptics who question the safety or effectiveness of psychedelic therapies? Yeah, so um it's it's been interesting responding to that to be honest. I credit the media for doing a lot of that work for me. There's been great things like How to Change Your Mind, the book by Michael Pollan which then turned into a Netflix series, uh Fantastic Fungi. There's been great coverage by Sports Illustrated and Time Magazine and CNN and Forbes. Um, but a lot of the mainstream media outlets have covered these things, uh, in depth and pretty well. And I think the answer is in the data. So when talking to people that still have, um, doubts or concerns around psychedelics, usually those doubts stem from fear or stem from misconceptions around what psychedelics, a psychedelic therapy entails. 
And when we talk about psychedelic assisted therapy, so not the recreational use of psychedelics, which I fully understand people may have had negative experiences or, or things like that. But when we talk about psychedelic assisted therapy, the data really tells us that these therapies are one, non-toxic, so you can't overdose from them, non-habit forming, so you can't become chemically like dependent on them or addicted to them. And we've seen in clinical trials that as I mentioned before, like anywhere from, you know, 60 to 85% of people in the clinical trials will undergo these treatments. They'll do them one to four times with ketamine. It might be up to six times. And at a one year follow up, they will no longer qualify for whatever their initial diagnosis was, be it PTSD or depression or anxiety. And so you really can't argue with that. It's hard It's hard to argue with data, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to argue with data. And I think you're right. As you were talking about that, you know, I think it's become a lot more normal. And maybe I'm not normal and I don't hang out in the most normal crowds. But I think psychedelics in particular, uh, you know, especially, prof- you know, at least packaged professionally done or grown and, you know, sources you can trust. I think it's become a lot more normal. Like I see normal mothers in normal neighborhoods where it's a lot more accepted and, you know, recreationally. But the other thing I would say, um, and again, I'll always kind of keep going back to my experience in ketamine therapy. The one thing that I realize what people, that what I think I want to share with people is recreational, uh, psychedelics and ketamine. What changed, what's different for me or what I noticed was a lot different is when you put a mindfold on. Because when you put a mindfold on, you're not letting the environment crowd what's going on in your head. And if you believe, which I do, that whatever happens with a mindfold on, with your eyes wide open, pitch dark, whatever you see is what you're supposed to see. That's just what I think. And I think most people that get the most out of that surrender to like the experience and actually get something out of the experience. Um, I think it's important because a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that till I put a mindfold on. I had tried psychedelics prior to a mindfold. You put a mindfold on, and to me, it changes the game completely. So anyway, I just throw that in there because there's people listening to that are probably like, hey, do I want to hear this, and how does this apply to me? Well, I think it's become a lot more common for people, one, to try psychedelics, and two, I don't think many people actually put a mindfold on and like experience it like the medicine is supposed to be experienced. That's my opinion. We'll get more into it. Yeah. So talk about like, how exactly does your company, India, facilitate business in offering psychedelic therapies, uh, benefits to employees? I, and, and I'm, I'm asking for a friend because I'm actually curious too, because I didn't ask you, uh, either. I'm real curious for, you know, my own team and I'm sure a lot of listeners out there, this might be something that they, if they're not thinking about it now, they should be thinking about it. Yeah. So essentially, um, ketamine assisted therapy, um, is FDA approved and, uh, legal and available nationwide. So other psychedelics are, you know, just for the audience still in the approval process and hopefully will be approved. Hopefully next year MDMA is approved, but ketamine is available right now and it's approved and there's incredible data to show the positive effects of ketamine on a wide variety of mental health issues, including substance abuse and depression and anxiety. However, large insurance carriers are not covering ketamine assisted therapy. And what this means is that most people uh, can't afford, I mean, 
can't afford to get ketamine assisted therapy if they're paying out of pocket. And they are hoping that their employers will cover this um, with some sort of add-on plan. And that's kind of the role that India plays. So we provide employers with an option to have an add-on benefit plan, kind of similar to how they would have an add-on for dental or an add-on for vision. They may have an add-on already for mental health, like a meditation app, like something like Headspace. So they may already have some add-ons to improve their employees' well-being. But this is a specific add-on for ketamine-assisted therapy so that their employees can then um, get this treatment. And then for the employer, I mean, for the employee, there's a whole slew of benefits, ultimately being that they will feel better and have increased uh, mental health. But for the employer, there are many benefits in doing this. And that's that's why we um, have seen a lot of like positive feedback from our customers in terms of increased productivity and less absenteeism and more presenteeism, meaning like employees are actually present while they are at work and better retention and less workplace burnout. There's all these benefits to employers. And I mean, if there are HR people listening to this podcast, they'll resonate with us. But it's kind of one of the number one pain points for employers right now is like dealing with mental health in the workforce. And so, yeah, that's kind of the role that Anthea plays. It's helping get employees access to these medicines. Awesome. And do you guys, like, is there a, um, do you have a network of providers at this point or how does that piece work? I'm just try- trying to like piece this together. I'm yeah. sure still building it, but what do you have? So, yeah. So actually that's what we spent most of our time building. So we've been around for a few years. Um, and we've spent the bulk of the time building our provider network because what we realized is, um, we started getting a lot of interest from large Fortune 100 companies that wanted to sign up for this service and offer this to their employees. And we started thinking, wait, we don't have enough providers in our network to serve these like large companies. So, um, we focused on building our network and actually now have a provider network that spans nationwide. That means that uh, somebody living anywhere in the country can have access to a, a vetted and credentialed ketamine-assisted therapy provider. And I stress the vetted part because if you just use Google, you can find a lot of ketamine clinics. There's almost a thousand of them, I think, all over the country. And, you know, for the layman, it's hard to be able to tell, well, you know, is this where I really want to go? Do I trust do I trust my mental health in, in in this ketamine clinic without knowing if, you know, they're vetted or what kind of process they had to go through? Um, because this is an, a nascent industry, there aren't standard, uh, like third-party standard credentialing standards um, set. So Anthea has actually spent years building a credentialing process and medical policies, and we vet each provider that becomes in, that we take into our network so that when somebody goes through Anthea, they know that they're going to provide they can trust. And we have built that so it's nationwide. Awesome. No, that is great. Yeah, I was fortunate uh, through the therapies that I went to six treatments. I knew the doctor very well. Uh, one thing I want to share uh, just for the listeners, and you know, this won't surprise you, uh, is the doctor that I went to, uh, I, I won't say his name, but I probably he would be willing to come on this podcast. He's an amazing guy. He's an anesthesiologist, kind of recovering anesthesiologist. And this is like, he has found his purpose through ketamine treatment. So he would go as any anesthesiologist does. You put people to sleep for surgeries. Sometimes they wake up, sometimes they don't. For him, that got very, very stressful. And over time, 
he started to uh, to experiment with psychedelics when he was off for several days. And he started to feel like he was serving like a tour of duty, almost like in the military. And so he decided to call it quits. And now he started the ketamine treatment that is in Scottsdale. And he's he's amazing. All, all of the doctors in his office are saying they're all anesthesiologists that have kind of transported or transferred over to the ketamine side. And they're like the coolest people I ever met. I will say from a vetted standpoint, the environment, like how they go about it, there's a lot of things that do matter. Um, so I'm glad you know, you're kind of bringing it up. But we can get more into that. But I want to keep moving for now. Have you seen certain types of companies that have been early adopters of the services so far? Or do you expect certain industries or company cultures to be more open to this than others? Yeah, great question. We've been noticing that it's a little bit industry agnostic. So we've seen positive responses and have gotten customers from various different industries. However, what, however, what we've noticed is one, typically with our early adopters, there's somebody in leadership in the company or in HR that's sort of an evangelist that has either had a ketamine or psychedelic experience or heard of somebody like that they know who has had a ketamine or a psychedelic experience or they themselves are curious because they're struggling with their own mental health issues and they're super curious. So they're kind of coming to us saying, I want to offer this to my employees, but I also want to be the first to sign up. Um, and so that's a theme we've seen um, with some of these early adopters. Another thing we've seen in the company culture from the companies that we're talking to and the employers in the pipeline are generally speaking, they are companies that have shown somewhere or another that they care about their employees' well-being. Like, of course, there are a ton of benefits to the bottom line for employers that do this, especially if this employ these employers are self-insured, which I don't want to go into all of the technical details, but that means that they pay for the medical costs for their employees. And so by signing up for India, they're probably going to get a huge ROI because they're going to save on their normal medical spend. But aside from that, we are seeing that companies that are excited about India are generally companies that have shown an interest in their employees' well-being. So maybe they're already providing some sort of fitness benefit or a meditation benefit, or they provide some nutrition coaching for their employees or things like this. They have flexible time off policies. So we've noticed that um, these are employers that have just been progressive in their thinking around employee mental health in general. Got it. Got it. You know, and the thing that comes to mind for me and again, I am an evangelist, so I'll just be open and say it. So like people are like, who is this guy? Is she paying him to like, sell people on this? <laughs> I, you know, I, I think if you are, uh, this is my opinion, but if you are a employer and you have a company, especially with a bunch of remote employees and you are forcing them to sit in front of a computer all day, I think, and, and at this point, you don't have to pay for office space necessarily. Then I think your responsibility, in my opinion, becomes how do we get to put our team and employees back in a place so they almost feel like they are better off after they work. And I know that's a huge like goal. So we do uh we do a precision uh wellness platform. It's an Australian based company where it takes their body type and tells them what they can eat, when the best time to work out, all those things. So we are one of those types of companies. So this all resonates with me. But I think um, you know, the ROI is definitely there. And I think it's also, if you care about your team, it's a differentiating factor to set your culture apart 
as one that cares about their team. And ultimately, it's a win-win because you're giving something that they appreciate and then they are able to give back because they uh, are in better health, uh, specifically better mental health. Um, I will say again, I like just sharing this from my personal experience. I went in with an open mind uh, for self-discovery. I came out with somebody that didn't, this was, wasn't why I, I went in. Um, I drank alcohol, but for some reason I didn't want to drink for about 90 days. I didn't even think about it. But so I think I know firsthand it's one of those things where it just grounds you so much where for some reason you're just comfortable being who you are and you don't need any substance to, you know, kind of put you out of that, which keeps you more focused. So that was my experience. But uh I'm sure there and there's a lot more that I could share on that. Um what like talk about um how do you see psychedelic therapies transforming health healthcare over like a longer horizon, like five to ten years? Like uh when will it be mainstream, do you think? I mean, we're obviously you're hoping sooner than later. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But what do you what do you think about the horizon and, and when does it become mainstream? Yeah, I will answer that question. But if I may, um, and I'm happy to share this link with you and you can share it with your with your uh, viewers. But um, I just want to add on, actually, based on what you said about like employers sort of have this responsibility to take care of their employees. Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General Office, um, did release like an announcement, um, last year saying that 76% of U.S. workers report at least one symptom of a mental health condition and 84% of respondents, uh, said their workplace contributed to at least one mental health challenge. Um, I'll share that with you, um, so you can share it with others, but it is from the like U.S. Surgeon General's office. And I mean, to me, this like very much emphasizes the responsibility employers have. And I'm, even if I wasn't the CEO of NPA, I think I would be saying this just because I care about people's well-being. Um, but in answer to your question about the future of psychedelic, the psychedelic industry and, um, where I see this going, I see and hope that, um, MDMA, which is commonly known as Molly or ecstasy on the street, but MDMA, which is the, the pure, uh, root of, of ecstasy, um, that, uh, drug, I think will be approved in 2024. Um, an organization, uh, named MAPS, um, has been at the forefront of clinical trials and getting MDMA approved and showing the effects of MDMA on the treatment of PTSD. So I think we'll see an approval of that next year. And I think we will see the approval of psilocybin, which is the root of, you know, what people normally call magic mushrooms approved the following year. I think with these two major approvals, MDMA and psilocybin, there will be a huge shift in the landscape for the psychedelic industry where these treatments will become more mainstream. And that might set off a domino effect of other psychedelics, um, like LSD and ayahuasca. And there's a lot of biotech companies right now looking into non-hallucinogenic compounds like psychedelics without the hallucinogenic uh, component. Um, but I think starting with MDMA followed by psilocybin, we'll see a domino effect of approvals. And I think in 10 years, we will be looking back and psychedelic assisted therapy will be very mainstream. And we'll be wondering like, wait, we've had these compounds available for decades, if not centuries, if not millennia, like why did it take us so long? Um, to, to use them, but 
uh, here we are. I also think that there'll be um, a reduced stigma, not just with psychedelics, but with mental health, because as people get healed, there'll be a, a reduction in stigma um, associated with mental health conditions. People will be able to talk more openly about their mental health issues because they'll be able to get treatment that works. I think we'll see an improvement in employee well-being. I could go on all day if you want, but um, to, to not go on too much, um, I think we'll see an advancement in the next 10 years in research and innovation. So right now we've been focusing, for the listeners, we've been focusing on the application of MDMA for PTSD, and we've been focusing on the application of psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. These seem like the easiest ways to get these drugs through FDA approval. But I think once those approvals happen, we'll see a lot more research happening in the field of psychedelic therapy with different research institutions and centers of excellence that might look at approval of these drugs for eating disorders and substance abuse and anxiety disorders and other things. Um, I also think that we, in the next five to 10 years, will definitely be leveraging technology and embracing digital health solutions. Um, not just telemedicine, but like I've been seeing at conferences, the use of VR with psychedelic therapy and the complementary aspects of like VR for, like you mentioned the mindfold. I mean, I 100% agree with you that you can't have a good psychedelic therapy experience without, uh, or an effective one without like a, something to cover your eyes, but that may change with the application of VR. And I'll end it off with, I think we'll see greater collaboration with healthcare providers and, and payers and insurance companies. Wow. No, that was a lot in, uh, Sorry. no, that was good. I can't wait till that day though, because when you look at the history of health, I think we've been duped a couple of times and yeah. we've like opioids were okay. And like, this has been pushed off and now finally it's making it to the forefront for, you know, for, for the right reasons. You know, when you were thinking about starting in the, uh, were you like you, obviously you chose ketamine because it was approved, but in your mind was it was the longer vision about, you know, the, the string of the other stuff that you talked about specifically, like I would say, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I have asked doctors about this quite a bit. MDNA does have some anti-aging uh, components to it, assuming you don't abuse it. But so there are all these other stu like studies that, that, you know, we're talking about PTSD and, and, you know, therapies for, for stuff that's a little bit more acute. But when you started it, like, did, were you thinking about this other stuff or were you saying, Hey, I think ketamine in itself, we could push this business and really run this program with ketamine alone? So I definitely was thinking and like everyone that helped create India, we were all thinking about um, the use of MDMA and psilocybin and building the infrastructure with ketamine because ketamine exists and it's very effective. So it's not that it's not effective, like you went through ketamine therapy and saw the benefits. Um, but we definitely built Anthea with the vision of psychedelic therapies are on the cusp of approval and they're going to cost a lot of money and insurance carriers are not going to cover them. And we want to be right there to hit play as soon as they're approved so that people have access to this. So we've been building the infrastructure with that in mind. From an investor standpoint, I can't believe I'm saying that, but I'll use this terminology. From an investor standpoint, 
Uh, and I say that, by the way, because I come from a history of working with nonprofits and NPS started as a nonprofit. So I'm, I'm not always used to thinking about investors, but from an investor standpoint, we have since built out a model where Anthea would be successful and scalable and a profitable business with just ketamine because there's enough of a market for it. But from a mission perspective, we're definitely looking to include, honestly, not just psychedelics, like any innovative mental health treatment that is safe and effective, um, that for whatever reason is not covered by insurance carriers, we want to help people get access to. Awesome. And I remember from our first conversation, Sherry's purpose is to reduce human suffering, right? Did I get it right? You're right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, I can't think of a better way. And no wonder why uh, you're so, you know, kind of charged up about it. Cause I, I so much believe in the path that you're on. And one thing I'd want to share, cause most people are like, okay, sounds great. What's involved in the ketamine therapy? The first thing I would say is if in any major market, go put ketamine therapy or the ketamine treatment in your phone and see how many are already there on this. And, you know, it'll surprise you. It, it does. It has me because when I travel, I'll be like, yeah, I wonder if they have ketamine places just to, just to see. And the other thing, uh, that was somewhat surprising to me is the, uh, how long the therapies were. So especially the first couple, typically what happens, uh, in, to correct me if I'm speaking out of turn here, cause I'm speaking from my own experience, but the approved process to, uh, help somebody with PTSD is six treatments in three weeks, I believe, correct? So we might be diving into some nuanced details here. When you had ketamine therapy, was it administered in IV or was it a nasal spray? Or do you remember how it was administered? It was, it was an IV, yeah. IV? Okay, cool. So it kind of depends, like the, the framework also depends on the mode of administration. Th that is correct as a, as a baseline. However, each therapist will assess with their patient what the cor best course of treatment is. So for me, it might be just three treatments over the next three months. Like I might, I might only need to do one treatment over the next three months. So I think that really depends on what the therapist assesses based on the patient's needs. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So where I was headed with this is like what I was really surprised with. Yeah. I went in, um, I don't remember the exact timing, but I'll give you kind of a timeline. You get comfortable, you know, you, you'll kind of get in a chair and be comfortable. And within 20, 30 minutes, you can be in the therapy yeah. process. And then within an hour, you know, be kind of winding down and getting up and walking out. And I don't suggest like, you know, if you're going to do this, relax, let it settle in. Yeah. My first treatments, I came back and was like working and, you know, taking care of my kids again. That's amazing. I don't think people realize that. They're like, oh, that sounds like a lot to do and really stressing. And I'm not suggesting that it's nothing to, 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 you know, plan lightly. I was just really surprised on the, uh, how convenient it was and how little time they can get you in and out of therapy. Yes. So that's your point. Actually, one thing very unique about ketamine is it's the only substance that has shown to like have an effect on like suicidal thoughts in as little as a few hours. So. Not saying that that's why you went in, but I'm saying like the, it works so quickly and so effectively that I can go in feeling like really not great and later that day feel better and nothing else, um, is shown to be that effective for like suicidal thoughts. 
And you're absolutely right. What's really great about ketamine therapy is that, you know, you can go in and three hours later, you're with your family or you're back at your desk or you're working at, of course, not, not necessarily recommended for everyone, but you can, in theory, do your, go to work for the day, do your ketamine therapy and go home afterwards and still have them. You don't have to take the next day off for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that was uh, amazing. And again, the, this is me. I'm not a doctor. I keep pre- prefacing that because I don't want to put words in Sherry's mouth. Uh, and I'm sure she doesn't want words put in her mouth. The other thing that I noticed from uh, ketamine therapy was the next day I was very unusually strong in the gym. And I don't know how, like, I'm just telling you my experience in each one of those treatments. The next day, I was unusually strong in the gym. And not that you would do it for that. I just think that there's, you know, there there was, that wasn't a coincidence. And I've had other people uh, that have been through and have told me the same thing. But it was a very, have you had any of that? Or is, it, is there, you know, I don't know if you want to even comment on that. But it's something that I've noticed in spades, actually. So I will be honest, uh, you are not a doctor, but you have taught me two things that I will have to look into. One is MDMA and anti-aging because I've been noticing more wrinkles on my face. So I look into this. And the other is ketamine and workout performance. I have been so laser focused on um, like primary indications like depression, PTSD, anxiety that I actually haven't looked into those effects. So I have... Um, I haven't um, spent time on looking if that's actually like documented in the data, but um, it's, you've given me something to look up. Got it. And then talk to me about like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm you know, I'm pro and I think it's wonderful, uh, especially from a, in the United States, a, a healthcare system that has had its flaws, pharmaceutical companies work. And this is my opinion. Um, so I'm, uh, I think we're definitely, this is awesome. How do you, how have you, you talked a little bit about this, but how do you continue and how do you address the stigma associated with psychedelics? Like, how do we, you talked about like, you know, having like somebody that has had a positive experience, but I'm sure you still run into people like talk about like what that is, what, what usually their pushback is. And then just the educational work that, you know, either you have, or like you talked about a lot of data out there, which I think most people have access to, but talk about that. So, um, one, like what I said before, a, a lot of it lies with the data. So that's really powerful. And when you say that you're right, people have access to it in as much as we have access to everything with Google, but we are looking for ways to make this data more digestible, more, uh, easy to go through, um, visualize it more. So we're always looking for ways to do that, but there's a lot to say about the data and the results. The other component is, um, the appeal to employers in terms of like bottom line, which is less to do about how ketamine therapy works for the individual person and helps them with their mental health, but from an employer perspective, like how it helps with their bottom line. So there's a lot of information and economic analysis on that. The third component with the stigma, um, which is really unique to anything in the mental health field is personal stories. Um, and I think the power of personal stories, like, I'm so thankful for you, like just having me on this podcast and sharing your personal story with ketamine therapy. But we don't do that enough. Um, there's a reason why there's like a loneliness problem happening all over the world. Um, we don't talk enough about our feelings and our traumas and what we've gone through. And when I'm confronted 
I go to a lot of healthcare conferences now. I go to a lot of HR conferences now. And at those conferences, I definitely get people that come up to me after I speak and say, I'm scared about psychedelics. I'm what you said on stage scared me. Like I have that reaction. And then I really just at a human level break that down and really try to connect with like, well, tell me what you're scared of. And also like, let's be real. Have you had or known anyone that you care about, like struggle with their mental health? I open up about my own um, story, people that I love and care about that have dealt, dealt with mental health. But when you break this down and make it more relatable through personal stories, I think um, that might be the most powerful way to reduce stigma. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, like this is, this might be a self-serving because I'm just super interested, but how do you, without this could, this, this could be a very uh, complex question, but what have you guys done? Like, what do you do to vet your different uh, ketamine, uh, you know, companies that you work with? Yeah, that's not a complex question. It's, um, it's a combination of different things. So like in any basic credentialing process, you have to look at the, that the clinicians are properly licensed. So we don't just look at like the clinic, but all of the people that work at the clinic, you know, what are they licensed? And we do like a thorough checking of like, when were they licensed? Is their license still valid? Have they kept up, kept up to date? Um, what insurance, uh, coverage do they have at their clinic? Make sure that they have not been sued by anyone or anything like this. We look at general reviews that they've received. Um, and then we also look at where they were trained, how long ago they were trained. Um, how long was their training program? Again, because this is a new industry, you could get a training certificate in ketamine therapy in a week, or you could do it in a year. And there's a big difference in what those trainings look like. So we definitely look into where people were trained and how long that training took, whether it was an accredited or credible institution that did the training and then like how long they've been offering ketamine therapy. And then finally we look into their model. Um, so there are places where you can go for just ketamine and there are a lot of benefits of doing ketamine in itself. So I'm not like doubting there's a lot of data that shows that going in and getting ketamine in an IV and not having therapy and, and leaving will probably make me feel better. Um, so it's nothing against that. But um, we look into what kind of uh, service this clinic is providing in terms of the broad spectrum of ketamine therapy. Um, are they going to do a psychological intake? Are they going to do preparation sessions with the patient where before even administering ketamine, they talk to the patient. After the ketamine, are they going to do integration, which means like a few sessions of talk therapy post-ketamine experience to make sure that the lessons are cemented? And if they're not, what can we do to complement the offering at the ketamine clinic with, you know, a, another therapist in our network to do that integration? But for us, we really believe that it's important to do ketamine combined with therapy so that it's ketamine-assisted therapy. Got it. Yeah, and I did do that. I had uh, a person. Which is important. Um, you know, I think you could, you could try to explain the therapy, I guess, on your own. It would be very difficult without somebody that has heard other people talk about it. Especially when they're like, what did you see? And like, you know, you see a lot of things like <laughs> that aren't necessarily normal, but it's, you know, coming out of your brain. And so to have somebody to talk it through, I think is important. You know, the craziest thing you want to hear what my brain thought about of just putting my back is. Yeah. As soon as I walked out of my first treatment and my second treatment, first thing I thought about is I want to, I want to donate this therapy to somebody that needs it. That's the first thing I thought about. So I think, you know, you, you might already have something like this, but for me, 
you know, I was like, I, I, I didn't necessarily need it. And I, I, I saw the benefits. So my brain worked at like, I want to, like, I'd love to pay for somebody to go through this that needs it. That's the first thing that came out of my mind. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking was for me personally, when going through the treatment, I wanted to, I was amazed by it. I couldn't, you know, I was like, wow, this is, this is something I've never seen before. So I was kind of caught in this place where I wanted to like do voice memos and like explain it and try to remember it, but I also wanted to enjoy it. So I was kind of caught in this place where like, I just wanted to like, let it happen. Yeah. But I also didn't want to forget what was happening. Um, so just sharing like a couple of small details because you're bringing me back to like, I'm, I'm, I'm going back. This was almost a year ago now, but wow, it was, uh, amazing, uh, amazing experience. Talk about. You touched on this a little bit, but I think it's worth you know continuing down this road. But you know, if if you're in a position of being an employer, sorry about that, and you have the you know you have the choice of providing this as a benefit, you know what I think is going to be overwhelming and, and really help you with that is feedback from employees. Talk about like how have employees responded to the access of uh, ketamine as as of now, um, and like what changes have you witnessed once that feedback has been given to the employers, the team and people around them. Yeah. Um, so one, uh, in terms of feedback that we've gotten from the employees <laughs> directly, I had the privilege of um, sitting on a panel with some of the uh, patients that went through ketamine therapy via India. And, you know, from them, like even on that panel and hearing from them directly, they said things like they never would have tried this if their uh, employer hadn't helped pay for it, that um, it not only saved, someone else said it not only saved their life, but it saved their marriage. Someone else said it saved their husband's life. Um, this is kind of like the reason why I'm doing this because this feedback is, um, I don't know, just so meaningful. Um, someone else said that... Uh, the work they did in one session equated to years of therapy. So I'm not sure if that resonates with you and your experience, but that's a common one. People often say like, wow, that was like five years of therapy in, in kind of one day. Not saying that I'm not advocating for shortcuts, but that's genuinely something we get as feedback. And then in terms of uh, data, because we do obviously collect data, um, we release some of the data from um, like one-year patient data from last year. We released that this year. And what we saw was actually outstanding. We saw that um, from the people that went through ketamine with a P PTSD diagnosis, they saw an 86% reduction in their symptoms. People with major depressive disorder or depression saw a 67% uh, reduction in their symptoms. And then people with uh, generalized anxiety disorder or just anxiety um, saw a 65% reduction in their symptoms. And if you look at the the effectiveness of talk therapy or SSRIs in that amount of time. So we're talking about like in a six months time frame, you don't see those kinds of results at all. Like it's unheard of to see an 86% reduction in PTSD. So yeah, that that's kind of what we've seen. And we're super motivated and inspired by those results. You know, you said this thing that after ketamine therapy, you wanted to like donate this. Um, that resonates a lot with me because pretty much everyone at Anthea has that in their core like they've had an experience or seen someone that's had an experience and they just wanted to share this and so like really India was created from that feeling of like i want to share this with the world so yeah 
Love it. I love it. You know, the other thing that from again, I like layman's turn, like layman's perspective is everybody I think asks the question of like, you know, is this addictive or I can say firsthand it is like I, I, when I was done with my six treatments, which was a lot, I had no interest in going back and not in a bad way. It's like in a good way where it's like, were you, you know, it's like if you climb the biggest hill in the world, I'm not saying it's apples to apples, but it's not like you, come back and you're like, I'm ready to go again. I mean, it was, I was good. <laughs> I I experienced it. I'm glad I did. And I don't know when I think about would I ever go back? I don't know if I would, I would never go back for six therapies unless I really needed it, unless something drastically changed with my mental health. But I think what I would do is I would go back maybe in you know a year or two, this is two or three years out for one shorter treatment, like almost like the way I would look at it. So that's, again, yeah. I want... It's just like a quick, like kind of like, like brush up. Like I don't have to, I don't have to go through like all six. Like that would be a lot. But, but I had no interest in, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to explain for people, but I think it's, it's important because I think that might be one of the hangups people have is like, Oh, if it's so good, why would you want to just keep going back? Well, I can tell you firsthand, you kind of, it's one of those things where, you, you know, it's like traveling somewhere so far and it was such an amazing trip, but you're not ready to go back there for a while. That's a great example. I'm so happy you brought that up. And that is very much um, what we're seeing as well. Like this is very much a curative treatment. So you're getting to the root cause of underlying issues. And it's positive in the sense like it feels good to work through whatever you have to work through. But it's also work, right? Like it's not like 100% fun, which is why it's not addictive. It, it The end result feels good, but it's work to get there. And um, we do see people who, like I said, like tune up maybe a year or two years later, will come back for one session a year. Um, we don't, we haven't seen that with Anthea yet, but I mean, data shows that and anecdotal evidence shows that, that people often will come back maybe for one session a year, but in general, like they now feel better. And this is not something, it's not a feeling that you get addicted to. No, Absolutely. Well, I'm going to start wrapping up. This has been an amazing conversation. I feel like I, I didn't, I didn't even really get to like half my questions. I kind of just, I knew this was going to happen, but this is always good when it happens like this. Um, I have absolutely loved this. Like this has been kind of self-serving because I had such a good experience personally. And, you know, knowing that this is what you're trying to, you know, trying to, to push out, you know, to the world is, is amazing. And I, I'm happy to support by having you on. And I'm also happy to support by keeping in touch and seeing, you know, how we can continue to stay connected. And, uh, I, I look forward to seeing how this plays out for you. This is, uh, you know, absolutely, uh, uh an amazing thing that you guys are doing. And, and, uh, we're grateful to have you today. I'm so happy you had me. This has been the highlight of my day. And Maybe week. I'm going to go spend time with my niece and nephew. So maybe not the highlight of my week, but a close second. I'm really happy that you had me here. And I do have one last question for you, if I'm allowed to ask. Absolutely. I was actually going to say, I'm going to give you the last word. Did you donate a ketamine experience to someone? And if you didn't, would you be interested? I would be interested. Yeah, I have not. And so like this brought it back up. I mean, I, for 100%, and I think like we can even talk further offline. Yes, I would say yes. And then I think there's probably a way there's more people that are going to be like me that are in yeah. you know, are in a position to be able to do that, you know, once they, you know, maybe right, yeah. right when they get out of the chair, like you want to donate to somebody, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of other people that feel that way. 
Yeah, there's patient assistance funds. Um, India is setting one up, but there's others that exist that help people who are formerly incarcerated, homeless, or simply can't unemployed. There's many different ways to help people get these treatments who would not be able to afford them. So we can talk offline about that. Yeah. Awesome. Yes, of course. Of course. Well, you've been listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Wise Scouts. You can find all of our previous podcasts at wisescouts.com and future podcasts at wisescouts.com. Thanks again, Sherry. You have been absolutely amazing. I look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.